Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. It is the 25th of February. Happy Tasty Tuesday. On this Tasty Tuesday, I want to encourage each and every one of us to taste and see that the Lord is good. So um, what's for breakfast? And hopefully, you know, Bible with breakfast, Bible before breakfast, something along those lines. John chapter 4, always a good Tasty Tuesday text. Um, You remember John chapter 4 for the interaction that Jesus has with the woman at the well. He is passing through Samaria. He stops uh, at the well. Um, He sends his disciples on, off on an errand, um, and a woman comes in the middle of the day for water. Now, the fact that she comes in the middle of the day indicates that you know, she's not a woman who wants to intersect with other people from uh, from her community, and so uh, we learn a lot about this particular woman. I want to pick up at verse 27, just as the disciples are coming back. So Jesus has already had this really transformative encounter um, with the woman from Samaria, and she has already headed back into town to share with uh, with her neighbors um, people who have uh, who have sidelined her and and cast her out and ridiculed her. Um, she's now going to become the missionary, the first missionary that Jesus sends into these villages of Samaria, and many, many people come to faith through her. So the disciples have just arrived back in verse 27, and they marveled that Jesus was talking with a woman. No one said, uh, you know, why are you talking with her? The woman left with her water jar and went into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all I have ever done. Could this be the Christ? And they went out, uh, and they were, as they were coming to him. Now, meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. So this is the Tasty Tuesday reference here. Uh, Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has someone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say, uh, do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? Well, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for harvest. Now, remember, they're in Samaria, and coming to them from the villages uh, right at this point are these people with whom this woman of ill repute has shared the gospel, the, the, the fact that the Christ is at the well. And so coming to them right now are people who these disciples, these these Jewish men, would absolutely not see as people fit for the kingdom of heaven, fit for the harvest. And Jesus says, uh, again, we're in now in verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper will rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. And so then it says, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Uh, He told me all that I had ever done. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay, and he stayed for two days. 
again, un- unprecedented for a Jewish rabbi, for, um, for a person who was in any way following the rules and regulations of Judaism of this day. For him to have stayed in Samaria, he's obviously taking, taking up in their homes. He is eating with them. He is breaking bread with them. He is fellowshipping with them. He is teaching them. These would be things that would be, be really over and against the religious rules of the day. And it says that many more believed because of his word. And then they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you have said that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So as we taste and see today, as we, uh, as we break bread, as we recognize that the seed of God's word has been planted and distributed in the culture by others, let us raise our eyes to see to see what God might be bringing unto himself in terms of a harvest of salvation. And it might be people that really surprise us. It might not be people who are, you know, from the part of town where, you know, we think that the, the gospel harvest is going to come. It might not be among a people group where we think the gospel harvest is going to come. God is sending revival right now. He has sowed the seed of his word, and you and I now get to cultivate that which others have planted. So let's be busy about that today as we pray the news, as we seek the Lord in his word, on, uh, and on this eve of Ash Wednesday. Um, let it be Tasty Tuesday. Let us taste and see that the Lord is good, and let us share that great good news with others. Up next, I've got Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. Uh, he and I are going to, um, we're going to talk about some things at the intersection of politics and religion, particularly a case that the Supreme Court is going to hear related to foster care. That's up next here on Morning for the Carmen. Joining me now, Mark Caleb Smith. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Caleb Smith. Welcome back, sir. Hey, Carmen. How are you doing this morning? I'm well. I'm well. Um, Paul has just reminded me that because it is the eve of Ash Wednesday, it's Pancake Day. <laughs> Pancake Tuesday. Yes. You got to use up the news. flour. Yeah. You, 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 you appear. This is apparently news we could not live without knowing. And so. <laughs> That's that's what I thought I would just lead off with. Um, okay, I, can can you and I pick up first on this um, on this story about the Supreme Court agreeing to hear this case out of Philadelphia? It's a little bit of a complicated scenario because I feel like the reason um, the reason we're having this conversation is because there are people who want to utilize Catholic services in terms of the placement of of foster children. Um, or, or children into foster care and into into homes, but that's not happening in Philadelphia because um, Catholic Services does not place children in same-sex foster parented homes. So help us wade through the complexity of this, and then um, tell us what's at stake. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because so much of what our government does is provided through what we might call basic social services. Uh, it could be adoptions. It could be foster care. It could be after-school programs, drug treatment programs. The government doesn't actually provide all of those things, where the government has an office where you go to a government office to get something done. It kind of farms those things out and gives money to organizations to carry out some of those basic social service tasks. Um, And starting in the 90s, religious organizations started to get pretty heavily involved in competing for some of those taxpayer dollars state level, local level, also at the federal level. And it's worked relatively well, I think, on the whole. I mean, certainly it's had its critics 
Some people argue that it might compromise religious organizations in some ways, but I think it's worked relatively well on the whole. But after the court handed down its decision on same-sex marriage, the Obergefell case, uh, it created some conflict. So what do we do with organizations that get taxpayer dollars to do something like an after-school program or a drug treatment program, or in this case, place children in foster care or into adoptive uh, families? What do we do with organizations like that that are religious and that also would say we don't want to place kids uh, with same-sex couples because it's against our core convictions? Um, people are beginning to sue these organizations, arguing this is discrimination, uh, that it's really a violation of civil rights for them to make these kinds of choices and that they should either have to get rid of using any taxpayer dollars uh, or if they're going to use those dollars, they should uh, place children in whatever stable family environment they may be able to find, include, including same-sex couples. And so that's really the background here. This case comes out of Philadelphia, as you mentioned, but the conflict is something we've seen brewing for quite some time. So uh, I think that some people are going to be, first of all, surprised that Christian adoption and foster care agencies are, in many cases, uh, receiving government funding. Um, yep. But the, maybe the critical piece of this is in order to receive kids who are in the government's care, That's right. the placement of those children, you actually have to be authorized to do that. So even if you're not taking the funding, you still have to be authorized by the government to provide the service. Is that a, is that a layer of this conversation um, that, that we need to be aware of? Yeah, I mean, no question about it. I mean, if you're going to be active within the governmental system in any way, uh, you're going to be regulated by the government to some extent. You're going to have to have some sort of certification uh, where the government has done a vetting process to make sure that these organizations are on the up and up and that they're being run properly. Uh, obviously, you don't want the government just funneling children into uh, terrible organizations uh, that are really for-profit organizations, let's say, under the guise of nonprofit, just trying to make some money off the state. And so there is there is some overlap here uh, in all of these areas, regardless of the amount of money you're taking or the amount of regulation that you're receiving. All right. I feel um, I feel like there are Christian alternatives out there to um, to foster care, and maybe we need to be you know tracking those down and having some conversations about those as well. Um, I know that we're we are talking about some very large Christian um, yep. adoption and and foster care organizations like Bethany, um, yep, but Bethany right. changed its rules in order to accommodate uh, in order to accommodate the government on this. Is that right? That's right. And I, I actually have a current student right now who was adopted by his family um, through Bethany, and he's pretty upset about that change. Has actually contacted the board and uh, is trying to, you know, just get explanations for why why it's happening. But a lot of it, I think, really is these organizations are afraid of being sued. They're afraid of being dragged into court. Um, and the Supreme Court is just now sort of getting to these kinds of cases. You know, as you said, the courts agreed to hear this case out of Philadelphia. Um, and this is somewhat similar to this, to the Masterpiece Cake Shop case you had uh, recently at the court, where you just have to decide how much can the government really force a religious organization to do uh, in order to violate its conscience. And that's really the root of this case. And the court's previous precedents haven't been very clear in some ways. Um, and they haven't been honestly all that favorable when you look at the major precedents, haven't been all that favorable toward religious liberty. And so the court's got some work to do here. Um, and I know with recent appointments on the court, people are probably hopeful 
that the court will come down on a favorable side when it comes to religious liberty in this case. All right, I'm talking with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. He and I are going to take a brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, loyalty, and we're going to talk about the conversations related to loyalty when it comes to, um, well, the most senior executive position in our country, which would be that of the president. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Be strong in the Lord and never give up hope. You're going to do great things. I already know. Continuing my conversation with Mark Caleb Smith. He is a political science professor at Cedarville University. Uh, we we love to talk about um, uh, about the intersection of what I'll say is faith and politics. Uh, so let me let me ask this, Mark. And again, thank you for joining us again this morning. When I think about the concept of loyalty, when I think about um, the the way in which I want public servants to be loyal to the Constitution, loyal to their calling to serve the nation. Um, Maybe balance that with the conversation that we're now having as a nation with the demand for loyalty to the person in the position of the president. Yeah, there's always going to be conflicting values when you when you find yourself in those kinds of positions. You work for a president and you obviously uh, you have a loyalty to the president himself. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but that can't be the supreme loyalty. Uh, I think that's really the way that you get involved in scandals and you have people doing things they otherwise can't imagine doing. Uh, as believers, of course, we have loyalties uh, to God and to his word. We have loyalty to the kingdom of God, and that would supersede any other kind of human loyalty that we might have. Um, but it's a, it's a conversation right now, especially in the White House, as the president seems to be cleaning house a little bit of people uh, who he perceives to be disloyal to him. And this is a tough one because at some level it, it's perfectly reasonable. You know, the president, uh, you know, if I were president, I wouldn't want people serving in my administration that I perceive to be disloyal. I think it would all depend on, upon what we mean by loyalty. And are we talking about allegiance to me? Are we talking about uh, allegiance to the Constitution? Uh, and if it's sort of a my way or the highway kind of loyalty, then I think that can be destructive. Uh, and it's it's definitely part of Donald Trump's administration as he's struggling through, I think, this post-impeachment process to some extent. Um, and it also, I think, highlights his difficult relationship with the Republican establishment. I mean, he's he's always had this sort of arm's-length relationship to long, long-term Republicans, and therefore he's had a tough time, I think, surrounding himself with advisors and, uh, and ambassadors, foreign service officers, even cabinet members. Uh, that he deems to be both loyal and also acceptable to the Republican Party. So it's it's a really complicated issue. It is a complicated issue. I mean, you know, none of us wants um, none of us wants an emperor with no clothes, and therefore none of us wants um, a person in the most senior position to whom no one will speak the truth. And That's so right. I think that I think that for me is is a part an important part of this conversation. Yep. Um, how do you have advisors who are afraid to tell you the truth um, and it, because of because they fear they're going to lose their jobs um, or they're you know, they're going to be publicly attacked. And so, uh, you know, we we we've attacked this conversation from a number of different angles. We have talked about the way that we treat one another in terms of public discourse or the way in which we describe um, other people in terms of. Uh, I mean, you know, we don't call people names in public, uh, th those right. kinds of things. And so even just at a level of 
um, of treating other people as we would want to be treated if we were in these kinds of positions. I think that as average Americans, when we when we imagine how we might engage, um, you know, at, at the level of the conversation that we're talking about, it's really hard for us to imagine how we really have any influence in this conversation in terms of what's going on in the White House. No, I, I think you're right about that. I mean, this is a to some extent, this is a series of personality clashes that are going on. Um, this is all well within the president's power. And the Constitution, I think, clearly gives the president the power to appoint and to remove certain positions. Legally, he's able to go into executive agencies and, and into cabinet organizations and, and redo those political appointments to hire people and fire people at the very top layer of those agencies. And it really is up to him to do. But I think I think your comment is, is spot on. I mean, what, what we really want is people surrounding the president to give the president good advice. And sometimes that might mean telling the president, this is a bad idea. You need to really think through this. And we just don't know enough about what's happening in those inner discussions to know if there are people around the president who are able to say those kinds of things to him. Uh, it's concerning to me, if I'm candid about it, that he seems closely surrounded uh, by his family members. You know, the Kushners are there. His daughter is still an important part of this administration. He also seems surrounded by people who've been very publicly uh, almost bending over backwards to be praising of the president in a way that sometimes is a little bit off-putting almost. And so he wants those people around him, it seems, that are yes people. And again, at some level, I understand that. You always want to be able to work well with the people closest to you. But you need people who are able to push back and who can say, you know, I think we should reconsider this. And I hope the president has those people in his ear, because if he doesn't, then he's really just going to be governed by his own point of view. And uh, that can lead to some very difficult places. You know, no president's really capable of making all the choices without input uh, that go on in the White House. So, Mark, Caleb Smith and I are, uh, you know, we're talking about things that are happening at a national level that affect each and every one of us, um, because, you know, the, the reality is that we are affected in, you know, in our day-to-day -day lives by the decisions that are made um, by our executive, the, the president of the United States, Donald Trump. So let's be mindful that we're going to pray for him today. We're going to pray for those who are his closest advisors. Um, we're going to pray for an openness to the truth, even when it's difficult to hear. Uh, and we're going to continue to encourage one another uh, to hold all of our elected officials accountable for the jobs that they do for us as our public servants. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for joining us as always. Again, folks can find uh, Mark at Theaterville University and on Twitter at Mark Caleb Smith. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carmen. It's always a joy. Oh, likewise. We'll be right back. Okay, when we talk about uh, who is around us as our advisors, who are our counselors? I want you to consider for a moment who speaks truth into your life and into whose life you speak truth. Um, for whom are you the truth teller? And certainly in our closest relationships, uh, in our homes and with our extended families and with our colleagues, we want to be people who are free to speak the truth, obviously always in love, um, but to do so without fear of, of retribution. But sometimes it's really hard to hear the truth, particularly when what is being pointed out um, is, is a place, a point at which our lives are out of alignment with God's will, out of alignment with God's character, out of alignment with kingdom principles and priorities. Uh, but we need it nonetheless. 
Uh, and that is one of the way the whole, one of the ways in which the Holy Spirit operates is actually through the voice of other Christians and through the Christian community to help to bring us uh, to an awareness of those places in our lives where we are. Um, what would the word, what would the word be? Where you're where you're out. Uh, where we're not, our lives are not oriented to Christ. That there's even if we're just one degree off the mark, um, you know, if you proceed one degree off the mark over a long period of time, you end up far away from your desired destination. And so, I just want to encourage you today to consider who who are your Christian advisors and counselors? Who speaks truth into your life? How do you treat them? How do you receive that truth? Um, and hey, this is me preaching uh, to the choir here. This is a word I need to hear as well when it comes to. Uh, criticism, not just criticism for criticism's sake, but criticism for the building up of the body, the, the way that iron sharpens iron in the Christian community. All right, up next, I have got uh, a real uh, surprise and delight for us. Steve Sterling is going to be here. Steve is the president and CEO of MAP International. Um, it is it, it is an organization that provides medical assistance around the world, uh, particularly to children. Uh, and the reason we're having Steve on is really because his own story is so inspiring. Uh, if you were to see a picture of Steve, you would see that he is a person who walks with the aid of crutches. That is because uh, when he was very young, he suffered with polio. And he has moved from polio to purpose, bringing health and hope to the world. The book is The Crutch of Success. My next guest, Steve Sterling. We'll be right back. There's an enormous wave of disconnectedness sweeping across our culture, especially affecting our teens. And the sense of not being connected is having a dramatic impact on relationships. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. You're probably thinking, yeah, but my teen is connecting with people all the time. Texting, tweeting, posting on Facebook are actually hindering real connection. It's impersonal, erratic, alienating, but you and I can't fix the culture. What you can do is take steps to ensure they have at least one meaningful relationship with you. Spend time together face to face. Share your own struggles. Ask thoughtful questions. They're all good steps to connecting with your team. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. is Steve Sterling, among other things, the author of The Crutch of Success, but Steve is also uh, the Executive Director, President, and CEO of MAP International, Medical Assistance Program International. You can find them at MAP, I-N-T-L, on Facebook and Twitter. Steve, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, you are what I would just describe. I think all of us could be described this way, but I'll describe you as an unlikely messenger. But throughout history, God has uh, seemed to choose unlikely messengers, people who surprise the world with the power of their witness. Um, tell our listeners what might surprise them if this weren't radio and they could see you and not just hear you. Okay. Well, 
name like Sterling, you think I'm Caucasian and Scottish or whatnot. But I, actually, I'm uh, on crutches. I'm five feet tall. I use leg wrists and crutches. I'm Korean-American. And uh, I think people will be surprised uh, to see me as the person that I am and what God has accomplished through me, because all things are possible when you trust the Lord. And He has a plan for each person. And I really believe uh, God has a plan for everybody who's listening to the show. I mean, I think they have a, uh, God has a plan for them, but God does. And as Ephesians 2, 10 says, the tenth, as we are God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus to do good works which He prepared in advance for us to do, and that includes a little orphan, disabled orphan from Korea. So this is a huge part of uh, of your origin story um, that you were born in Korea. Um, you have now mentioned that uh, you were an orphan, um, and you've mentioned that you you walk with the assistance of crutches, and that is as a result of polio. So will you just talk a little bit about your early life, um, and maybe uh, maybe take us up to the up to the point where polio becomes a part of your story? Sure, I was uh, born in South Korea in 1956, and I was the oldest son, which means it's a big deal in Asia, especially, to carry on the family line. And my father went to a neighbor who had a child that passed away, but unbeknownst to him, the child had passed away from polio. And so then he brought the polio uh, to me. And so uh, I lived with my Korean family until I was age of five years old. And then my parents did all they could. And when they realized they could not do anything for me, they uh, left me in front of the orphanage called Holt uh, Children's Services. And uh, uh, so he literally left me at the footsteps, and he left. And I thought he was going to come back for me, but he did not. Uh, and I, I, I thought I did something wrong, and that's why I, I was being abandoned. But uh, God, God had different plans, and I'm really fortunate to be have been adopted through Holt. Uh, Steve, I mean, I, that is everyone who's listening right now, I mean, their heart is breaking, um, and their heart is breaking for you, for you know that little five-year-old boy who is uh, you know left in front of an orphanage. But our hearts are breaking equally for you know a mom and a dad who felt as if they were absolutely at the end of their ability uh, to care for you. Um, and you know, I just the the whole thing is so incredibly heartbreaking. And yet, you do have a story of adoption, a story of hope. Uh, a story of great um, success, um, and now a story of great service. So talk about that. Talk about overcoming really tremendous challenges, um, and talk about the strength of your faith. Well, when I first came to America, I I didn't know who Jesus was. I went to church, but I didn't really have a personal relationship with uh, Jesus Christ. And uh, my very loving family and so I, when I came to America, I just said, well, wow, this is a wonderful country because, uh, first of all, kids didn't make fun of me. Uh, I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. And when I was in Korea, I went to school. I was the only handicapped kid school, uh, in the school, and kids every single day picked on me verbally and physically. And so when I came uh, to Anchorage, they, people liked me. And so I started working really hard. And uh, it, it was really driving me forward because I can accomplish things, which I never thought was possible, but, uh, you know, that sometimes has its own uh, downfall when you continue to be driven by the success, and uh, uh, it was many, many years later when I realized I could have business success and whatnot, but until I have found Christ in my heart and accepted him as my Lord and Savior, 
I really didn't have anything. And I'm so thankful that we have a very patient God that he waits for us to come to him. Uh, and when he knocks, he doesn't barge in. He knocks and he waits until we open the door. And I'm so thankful that uh, we serve a God like that. I'm talking with Steve Sterling. Uh, Sterling is spelled with an I. Uh, and Steve and I are talking about not only his life story, but his book, The Crutch of Success, From Polio to Purpose, Bringing Health and Hope to the World. Um, Steve, you, um, you, you're you a smart, accomplished guy. I mean, you've got degrees from Cornell and Northwestern. Um, you have served a number of Fortune 500 companies. Uh, you've, you know, the, you, you climbed the, the, uh, the success career ladder for sure. Um, but then God... God did something and got a hold of you in a pretty unique way. Um, talk about talk about that. Talk about that transition from, you know, what we might think of as for profit to to the non profit sector. Uh, sure, I will be happy to. You know, it's, it's kind of ironic. You know, the stock market had a huge tumble yesterday, <laughs> and that's what that's what happened in 2000 when the stock market uh, in 2000 tumbled. Uh, I was working for BP uh, um, Ameritrade. And they laid me off, and that was a blessing in disguise because then I had the time to go to a funeral of uh, Bertha Holt, the founder of Holt. And at the at the funeral, I met one of my childhood friends. His name is Kim Su. He had severe cerebral palsy, and but he was smiling at me, so I thought surely we must be friends. So I asked him, "Do you remember me, Kim Su?" And he said, "Yes, my current name is Myung Su. I remember you." I said, "What do you remember me about?" He goes, "I used to beat him up all the time, and I felt really bad because." Uh, his uh, he could barely feed himself. He had cerebral palsy. But when I when I got home to, uh, from school, I would take it on all the kids because I got so frustrated because I got picked on. So I would beat on, take it out on them. So I felt really bad. And I said, Kim Su, would you forgive me for what I did to you growing up? And he said, Myung Su, I forgave you a long time ago because Jesus forgave me of my sins. When he said that, I started thinking about, you know, what am I doing with my life? And God used that to then... Uh, and then I found out the whole orphanage at the beginning was helped by Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision. And God used, used that circumstance in my meeting with Chung uh, Su to bring me to World Vision. That was my first nonprofit that I worked for in 2000, 20 years ago. You know, Steve, as you, as you share, you know, that experience of being forgiven um, by a man whose, whose body is broken— um, but whose soul is clearly alive and set free in Christ, um, and that you know that really being a an awakening moment for you, um, you know, I'm just reminded in my in my own life experience of really having never uh, felt so exposed uh, as uh, as I was during a trip to Malawi when um, you know when a Malawian orphan was pitying me. I mean, she was openly pitying me. Um, you know, her, her view of my life was, uh, was not that, um, that I was blessed, but that, you know, I, but the, from her view, from her orphan's eyes, um, you know, my life was, was pitiful by comparison. Um, and so I just, I just, I think that there are ways that God chooses to use people in such surprising ways in our lives because of, the particular challenge they are experiencing, and yet their nearness to God and to Christ and the reality of forgiveness and mercy and grace is so overwhelming that we can't ignore it. Um, and so I just, I'm so grateful um, for you and your witness. I want to take a brief break. When we come back, I want you to share with people about what you're doing now. 
um, I want you to share with them about uh, about MAP International um, because I, I do think that it's it's a critical conversation in terms of the way God is using you um, and and really leveraging all of your life experience for his for his glory in the world today. I am talking with Steve Sterling. We're talking about uh, his life experience. We're also talking about his book, The Crutch of Success: From Polio to Purpose, Bringing Help and Hope to the World. And we'll be right back. Continuing my conversation now with Steve Sterling. He is President, CEO, and Executive Director of Medical Assistance Programs International. You can find them on Facebook and Twitter at M-A-P-I-N-T-L. That's for MAP International. Um, Steve, tell us about, um, tell us about this organization and tell us what, uh, what you guys do. Uh, MAP is a Christian organization, and we've been around for 65 years, and uh, we help uh, people get access to life-saving medicine. The WHO estimates there are 2 billion people in the world that do not have access to medicine, things like hypertension medicine, cardiovascular medicine, diabetes, uh, asthma, uh, antibiotics, and those kind of life-saving medicines. And MAP gets uh, pharmaceutical companies to donate as medicines that are not expired yet, but they're getting close. And then we raise money from faithful donors, like listeners here on your radio and other places, that we then raise money to help ship them all over the world to partners on the ground. And because of that, we are very efficient. Uh, we help over 13 million people each year get access to life-saving medicine. And, in fact, if somebody donates uh, $1, that will provide $68 of medicine because we get the medicines donated. And so we're so grateful to be in this uh, uh, to, in the work on MAP. And I'm reminded, but when I was growing up, if I had a, a polio vaccine, I wouldn't have that polio. And uh, most people in the world do not have access to vaccines and medicines, and that's why I'm so grateful that we can help people in the world that need medicines. We also do during disaster response, be it a hurricane or right now the coronavirus, MAP is right in the middle of it because we help to provide millions of face masks, uh, protective uh, suits, those white uh, tie-back suits, uh, gloves uh, to China. We've already shipped two, uh, two shipments. China first with UPS, they shipped it for us for free into Wuhan, and we have another shipment going to nine partners in China right now. So we're very grateful that because of donations, we're able to help people need uh, in the U.S. during hurricanes or or halfway around the world, China with the coronavirus. I mean, the numbers are really staggering. I, I think that they're, when people go visit you guys, and it's just map, M-A-P dot O-R-G, when you go and you visit the website, um, you know, one of the things on the slider is just is so true, right? Everybody gets sick, but not everybody gets medicine. Um, and you and you made reference there in uh, in your comments to vaccines and vaccinations. Um, there's a you know there's an anti-vaccination movement among some very wealthy Westerners right now. Um, but talk about uh, the importance of vaccines and vaccinations in places where. Uh, poverty is real, and access uh, to medical care is almost non-existent. Yeah, that's most of the world. Uh, most of the U.S. and Western uh, countries are very fortunate. But the simple vaccine will prevent uh, uh, death and many times also crippling disease. Think about uh, we don't hear about polio in this country because everybody in the U.S. are vaccinated. 
But the polio vac- uh, polio is not eradicated from the face of the earth. There's still uh, vac- uh, polio in uh, Pakistan, Afghanistan. So if you're not vaccinated, and somebody travels to, let's say, India, and that person meets somebody who's in Pakistan, and then that person comes home, and then meets with somebody in the U.S., and if that person is vaccinated, that virus could still be around, and then somebody can get the polio like I did. So it's so critical uh, that people get vaccinated, and we're so fortunate that we have medicines that keep us healthy, uh, and, and that's, that's why we have a long lifespan, because most of the world that do not have access to hypertension, high blood pressure medicine, diabetes medicine, and cardiovascular medicine, and, and antibiotics, simple antibiotics, uh, and we're so fortunate in this country to have them, and MAP is a big part of that in providing to uh, 13 million people in the world uh, access to life-saving medicine through the generosity of pharma companies that donate medicine to us and donors that give us the funds to uh, do what we do and ship it to all over the world. I'm talking with Steve Sterling. Uh, He is the author of The Crutch of Success, From Polio to Purpose, Bringing Health and Hope to the World. Polio is a part of his story. Um, being abandoned as a five-year-old child uh, because his parents were no longer able to uh, afford to deal with the challenges related to his polio is a part of his story. Adoption uh, through a Christian ministry and into a Christian family is a part of his story. Uh, college, university, corporate success, all a part of uh, of your story. Uh, marriage marriage is also a part of your story. Talk, talk with us about um uh, your wife, your marriage, and how really marriage has impacted your opportunity uh, to do what you do uh, for Christ in the world. You know, this is a, my wife is a saint. Uh, she really is. And um, she, she was an answer to, to my prayer. I used to, uh, you know, I had lots of friends and whatnot, but they were all platonic. And I remember praying to God in the silence of my room, and I said, God, I was in my tears. Tears. I said, God, would you one day uh, give me a wife? And I skipped the girlfriend altogether. I prayed for a wife. Give me a wife who's kind, who's gentle, and who is uh, just a wonderful person. And God, you're the God of the universe. Make her beautiful, too. And believe me, my wife, we never dated. And I asked to marry me on the phone uh, when I was going to school in Northwestern, and she was in Alaska. And she said yes. She had many other people asking her to marry her, but she said yes to me. And so you can tell that is an answer to, to God's prayer. And we've been married uh, 38 years now, and she enables me to do what I do. I cannot do this work without her, and, you know, being on crutches and, and braces, and I travel a lot. And, uh, and she also spiritually, she's just a strong spiritual woman, and she's just a, I, I just so so thankful to God for her. And uh, I just, uh, she completes me. And because of it, and we can work together in serving the Lord. And I truly, she, I cannot do this work without her. I'm so thankful for God to answering my prayer. And, and uh, it's just a wonderful life because of uh, how God has put us together. Your story of, uh, of faith and faithfulness is inspiring. Um, we want to pray God's blessing upon you personally uh, and upon you and your wife, upon the ministry of of MAP International uh, and all of the places and spaces and precious people whom whom God will reach 
through you and through this ministry. Uh, and so we want to we want to be a multiplier of that. So thank you for joining us today. Steve Sterling, the book is The Crutch of Success, From Polio to Purpose, Bringing Health and Hope to the World. The ministry is MAP International. You can find it at MAP, M-A-P dot O-R-G. Steve, thank you so much. Thank you, Carla. God bless you. we got to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. All right. Uh, if you've been listening this hour, you might be saying to yourself, this sounds a little different than uh, than usual. We've got a piece of technology not working this morning, so go ahead and pray for that. Pray that uh, God would, you know, intervene in the ways that only he can. Um, and uh, pray for Paul and I as we continue to soldier on. We are thankful for the technology we have available to us, but we sure would prefer the one um, that makes me sound better. There you go. Um, as we pray the news today, let me also encourage you, uh, to, to know a few things that are going on. We've made mention this morning of the spread of the coronavirus and the impact that it's having on financial markets around the world. Um, also of significant note today, Egypt's former um, president and strongman, Hosni Mubarak, uh, has died. I suspect that that will, uh, that will create some conversations about, uh, about Egypt and about the status of things in Egypt that might not otherwise have risen to the top of the news today. Uh, the Harvey Weinstein trial uh, has ended, um, and that is going to be a, a conversation that folks are going to be engaged in today as well. Let us be let us be those safe people to tell for people who have experienced sexual trauma and brokenness, um, and, and let's be very gentle and tender uh, tender with them today. Okay, as you enter into this day, let us be people who help others taste and see that the Lord is good. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.